sometimes you grow up thinking that like only certain people can do certain things, you know, like, but then it's like, I just kind of realized like, Oh, I can do this. You know, like I don't need any type of training or (laughs) lessons or anything. Yeah. Just dive in. Listening to Talking About the Passion, I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer-songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. For episode 53, we have Deep Love, spelled D-P-L-V due to a legal issue that we discuss in the interview. Deep Love is the brainchild of multi-instrumentalist Jacob Gossel, as well as his bandmate Roy. Based out in Minneapolis, their recent debut album Wild Dreams blends various genres like psychedelic rock, synthwave, and chillwave with elements of EDM, all in a pop music format. Psychedelic bass lines, a blend of live and sampled drums, side-chained vintage synthesizers and vocal chops, topped with catchy vocal melodies that will have you singing along. You're now going to hear the first song off of Wild Dreams. This song is called All Different.
So you're in uh, Minneapolis? Yep. Born and raised, or? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was technically born in Wisconsin, but I only lived there until I was like 10, and then I was just kind of, went to high school like 30 minutes north of the city, so just out of the city, but I've lived in the city for like seven years or something. So definitely your, your home base. Yeah. Pretty cool city. The winters are super intense, but other than that, I enjoy it. And so you go by Deep Love. Yeah. And how many people are in that total? Uh, it's just me and one other person. So what are your different roles in the group? Well, it's sort of my baby. I started it and I, I, I tend to write everything and record everything and all that. And then... Um, my partner Roy, a bandmate, he uh we've been playing music together for a long time, probably like thirteen years or something. So he wanted to play with me. So live he plays bass and keys and uh like a role in SPDSX like drum pad. And then I play a drum pad and a keyboard and guitar and then sing. And so we're always just kind of switching, switching around, you know. Just because it's like a lot of it's electronic based stuff and we're playing to a lot of backing tracks. So we wanted something to make it look a little more interesting, you know? Yeah. Sounds like you both have to cover a lot of different ground, do a lot of different parts. Yeah. And so you and Roy uh, write the songs together as well? Uh, not as of so far. So far, it's just been me. Like, he, I definitely am always showing them to him and he gives me ideas and stuff like that. But for the most part, yeah, I've just been writing them on my own. And then he'll kind of help you flesh things out? Yeah, kind of more like uh, he'll give me like various ideas as far as like structural stuff or like, oh, yeah, you should bring, you know, this melody from earlier in later, you know, stuff like that. I don't know. But yeah, I kind of, I've always loved like writing solo music, so it's fun to just kind of get into it on your own and have all the control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how long ago did Deep Love form? When did the project start? It's been going for about two years now, I think, is when we've like started playing live and like actually having a name and everything. Before that, like I, I was writing the music for the first album probably starting at least a year before that. So All right, yeah. Still in its earlier stages? It's relatively new, yeah. I feel like within the last uh, year or so, it's really been kind of actually coming to, to its form here. So, And how did you guys uh, originally meet? How did you end up working together? Uh, Roy and I met uh, in school. We went to high school together, and uh, we were both skateboarders. We met just like skating at some skate spot in town. Like the first time we ever met, he asked me to spend the night at his house. We were like, you know, I was a, I think I was a sophomore in high school and he was a junior. So yeah, we be instantly became best friends. I didn't even play music at the time. He played guitar. He's played guitar since he was like six years old or something. I started playing music just because of him, really. We went to like a guitar center together one time and uh, I played uh, on an Electribe drum machine at a guitar center <laughs> and I was just super obsessed so that was the first instrument I got was a Korg Electribe and then just like 
learned drums to play with him in like talent shows and stuff. And uh, then we formed like a metal band when I, we were like when I was a senior and he had graduated. And yeah, we played in that band for a long time. So, so the music you guys originally bonded over was more uh, metal than electronic. Yeah, a lot of metal, like a lot of new metal, like Deftones and stuff like that, and then like a lot of progressive stuff, like Dream Theater, and and then we got into like uh, Fall of Troy and just all sorts of heavy music for quite a long time and then over the past probably like i don't know five or more years we've both gotten into a lot i mean we've always been into different stuff but we definitely just got really our music tastes expanded a lot over the past handful of years i was gonna say that's a pretty far cry from the sort of stuff <laughs> you make now yeah well i as a youngster was like super into nine inch nails and really wanted to like make music like Trent Reznor, so this kind of formed my electronic background when I was younger. Because like pretty much right after I started playing drums and got the Electribe, shortly after I got a computer, like a hand-me-down computer, and a copy of Sony Acid Pro, mm. and just started making like, you know, pretty much like learning music for me was all about like recording and production, you know. So that started the the shift towards the kind of music Deep Love does now, more sort of, not quite top 40, but sort of party atmosphere, electronic and pop music? Yeah, I mean, the Nine Inch Nails stuff was when I was pretty young, and that, like, probably, you know, I don't know, 18, 19. And uh, that definitely shifted and got me a lot into, like, electronic and all that. Um I think really what kind of made the shift more recently was I had just had a really old recording setup for a long time and mostly did stuff on guitar and bass and occasionally a little bit of keyboards and stuff. But uh, just like four or five years ago, I got I finally like upgraded my setup and got like a MIDI controller and started buying all sorts of soft synths and mm. plugins and stuff and got into uh, some a couple albums that really kind of broke things open for me were um the newest tame impala album oh yeah currents yeah and then um like uh, this guy robert delong have you ever heard of him oh i haven't i don't know him okay he's like he does some just crazy electronic stuff and it's all like it's just him and he performs it live with a bunch of different instruments and like like video game controllers turned into midi controllers and stuff and so that was pretty inspiring for me to see a guy like that and then, uh, yeah, just sort of went from there, I guess. So maybe you started uh, to understand more how to make this sort of music exciting in a live setting, how to translate yep. it to that to the stage. Yeah, definitely, because part of it was like, you know, the band had dissolved, the metal band we were in kind of dissolved around 2012, and, and I moved down to the cities and ready to kind of really take music more seriously, but... I didn't have a band, so I was like, well, I'm just, I'm not going to wait around for a band. I'm just going to start figuring out a way to perform by myself, you know? Right. And that was kind of my, that was kind of my plan to start with, was come up with a solo act. And then, uh, but Roy was really wanting to take music pretty seriously, too. So we joined forces, and so it's worked out pretty well, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so, how did you guys decide the name Deep Love? Well, I have a close friend that um, 
he's really like philosophical, pretty spiritual and stuff, uh, kind of a mystic. And um, he always kind of used that term kind of as a, at least I won't speak for him, but as my interpretation of it is basically like a different type of word for God that maybe doesn't have so many other connotations wrapped around it or whatever, but right. kind of a, a phrase he would use to kind of help his kids understand like the idea that, that there's a deep love that kind of like contains everything, you know, that even after people die or before people are born, they're kind of held in this deep love or whatever. And, and he does these sound meditation ceremony things. And we were doing one of those and it just popped into my head. I was like, Oh, that's what I'm going to name the project deep love, you know? So I just went with that. Resonated with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now I understand. I find this kind of interesting just as a, uh, as a musician, but you ran up against some uh, trademark issues, I heard. Yeah. Yeah, it's really kind of a bummer. So I just all of a sudden woke up one morning and all our music was off offline, like off of Spotify and, wow. and iTunes and all that. Just shut down. No, no. Yeah, way. it was just gone. And then I, I contacted them like, what is this all about? You know, and, and they sent me an email back and said, so-and-so DJ in the UK submitted copyright infringement claims. And so anytime there's a copyright infringement claim submitted to a music store, there's no questions asked. They just yeah. pull your stuff down. And then the only way you can get it back up is to talk to the person who made the claim and get them to reverse the claim. Now, God forbid that guy just talks to you directly in the <laughs> exactly. first place and lets you know what's going on. Exactly. You know, but uh, so, but it's weird too because it's not even a copyright issue it's trademark and i don't want to get too into the details but basically those are two totally different things and so it was kind of a misuse of the copyright act to get the stuff pulled uh, it was really uh, yeah but there's really nothing i can do besides spend a ton of money to take them to court which i'm not going to do and so but it's been kind of eye-opening to realize that like all the power is really given to somebody who makes a claim you know yeah. what i mean mm -hmm. there's no power to the artist to defend themselves or prove their copyright or anything like that so i guess um, that's a good lesson in the music business early on perhaps yeah. <laughs> stuff like that yeah mm -hmm. so now uh when you you pronounce your name as deep love but you'll write it out as dplv yeah i think so i mean i don't know i we I haven't fully wrapped exactly how that's going to work. Like I kind of want it to still represent deep love. I don't know if saying it as deep love is going to be like confusing for people or not. Right. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think you could call it DPLV and then it stands for deep love, but that's kind of like a thing only the fans know, like whatever MGMT is supposed to stand for. Exactly. That's kind of what I was thinking too. Yep. Yep. Because that way, you know, it doesn't have to have that confusion of like, yeah, it, well, it says DPLV, but he keeps saying deep love or whatever, you know. Yeah. So anyone who listens to this, you know, in a few years from now, you heard it here first. DPLV <laughs> means deep that's, love. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so what uh, you were into metal when you were uh, first playing with Roy in high school. But um, growing up, what was your relation to music relationship to music? When did you initially start thinking yeah. of yourself as a musician? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I've always loved music. My dad was like a big, big music fan. He always had 
the newest CDs, and we always were listening to uh, 93X, so it was always like rock music. And um, I grew up on the grunge scene, which you're probably pretty familiar with from being out there. But uh, yeah, I was a huge. I hear about it a lot. Yeah, I was a huge fan of uh, like Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. Was probably my favorite band growing up, and uh, I always knew like the. I prided myself on knowing. Uh, the band names and everything. So my dad, whenever a song would come on the radio, he'd be like, who's this? You know, and I'd tell him, this is Allison Chains or this is a... And so I, I was always into music as a kid, never thought of playing it. I don't know why, I just didn't. Uh, nobody in my family played in music or anything. And then in middle school, I played one year band uh, in like sixth grade and I played the flute and I was terrible at it. And I quit after that first year and then, uh, yeah, I didn't play again until I was uh, like 17 and got that drum machine. And I think, you know, basically right when I got that, I think I instantly pretty much considered myself a musician because I just loved it so much and it just felt so natural to me, you know. But I think I probably deep down was a musician way before that. You know? Yeah, but that was kind of when it really clicked like, oh, I can do this. I want to, yeah. I can start making stuff right away with equipment. Yeah, like it's kind of, it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you think sometimes you grow up thinking that like only certain people can do certain things, you know, like, but then it's like, I just kind of realized like, oh, I can do this, you know, like I don't need any type of training or <laughs> lessons or anything. Yeah, just dive in. <laughs> yeah. And so when you both perform now, so mm-hmm. how much uh, equipment do you have to take up there? What's the, the, the rig look like? How big a sound do you guys uh, go for? The the rig isn't too huge. We tr- we're trying to keep it as like compact as possible with still keeping it like really pro. So we've just got like I've got like a 49 key keyboard. He's got a 25 key. And um, we have this setup where we have two wooden panels that attach to our keyboards that have like art on them. And then we just have a small lighting setup that kind of makes the panels look like they're illuminated. Oh, kinda. that's cool. Yeah, and so they change colors as it goes. And I actually did the art because I do some visual art too. So um, kind of psychedelic looking. That's kind of the vibe we go for. And um, so, yeah, I just have a little like a Z stand with a rack next to my stuff uh, with an inter- uh, like an Apollo interface and um, and everything runs through my computer like literally everything so uh the guitar and the bass we don't use any amps um, we just use like an amp simulate simulator plugins and the ableton session is really like the meat of the entire thing it's just been hours and hours of uh programming and automation and stuff and learning all how to do all that so wow so it's uh it's a big sound, but it's not too cumbersome either. So you guys have taken this around to a lot of places? You've toured the country? Uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, we played one show in Portland, a show in Seattle, and then a show in Spokane. Um, other than that, all of our shows have been in Minneapolis. And uh, we haven't played a lot yet, like about 10 shows. We've been changing so much over the past like couple years to get where we are now yeah, yeah. that but now we're at a point, I think, where we're we're really ready to, to start hitting it. We've got some cool shows coming up in Minneapolis that we're really excited about. And 
we're hoping to do a sort of a little Midwest, like back to college type of tour in the fall. So, so you just put out your new album, Wild Dreams. Mm-hmm. And how long had that been in the making? Is that a big triumph for you guys getting that out? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I had been writing it for like two years, and well, not just writing it, but. I mean, the mixing was really the most challenging part for me. The vocal, recording the vocals and then mixing the whole thing. Cause I kind of am a perfectionist and I struggle like hearing my own voice. And so trying to record vocal takes that I was satisfied with and then mix the whole thing and get it to sound like an actual like professional record that you would hear, you know, on the radio or something was kind of a grind. But yeah. And it was really the first like real type of release I've ever done. I mean, with the metal band and stuff, we never really did any official releases. I was kind of like SoundCloud stuff or whatever. So yeah, it it was a big deal for me. It was, and that was one of the things that made the whole trademark and the music getting pulled kind of a big kick to the gut. Um, All the more frustrating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you got to learn a lot in the process, start to understand Mm -hmm. what happens after you've finished recording the music, what happens next. Yeah, and so I've been kind of trying to work a little bit differently now. Instead of trying to like just get one whole album done, I've been kind of just like finishing tracks as I start them. And I've got a good handful of tracks ready that I want to start releasing kind of just as singles here and there. Are there any themes behind Wild Dreams? What was the uh, the idea of the album going in? Yeah, well, the, I would say the main kind of theme, not all the songs necessarily fit into this, but the main idea was really kind of like what the title says is just kind of like, you know, a lot of people in life tend to like really kind of downplay people's dreams or or just out of like or you'll do it yourself out of just like i realistic thinking or whatever i you know i should have this certain type of job because it's more realistic but i just kind of hit a point in my life where i was ready to just try to like make my dreams a reality and that's really kind of what it was all about and that's kind of what went with the music it was just kind of a quantum leap in my growth as a musician and in the, as a person as far as just trying to like manifest my my uh, visions and everything so that's really the energy that wild dreams is about yeah so and you guys must kind of bring that to your performance on stage i imagine you get pretty pretty into it. <laughs> things do you get people dancing yeah we do our best i mean um it, we're really feel we're feeling like we're finally hitting the point where we're feeling really good, where we don't have to think a lot. You know, we practiced enough to where we can now really start to get into it for a while. There, you know, it's just kind of like so many instruments and things going on that we would kind of sometimes be concentrated on trying to make sure we're playing the songs right now. We're getting pretty into it, but that's kind of like where we want to bring the same mindset of you know, having an idea and a vision and and manifesting it into the live setup as far as like, that's where the paintings and the light show came from. And we just kind of want to keep taking that up another notch. We kind of have an idea to have like a big, like uh statue of a head 
kind of in the background with like a, a laser coming out of like a third eye and just, you know, so we, we want to take it up a notch to where it's like something people will really like remember, you know. If you ever get the chance, I recommend you check out a band called Sound of Series. The, uh, yeah. the visual stuff that they have going on in their performances is definitely next level. It's pitch black, but then they have lasers and prisms and it's a very elaborate. Oh, yeah. That sounds I had nice. Them on oh. the, the podcast a few episodes back, you'd, might want to check them out for inspiration. They definitely have an interesting thing going I, on. Yeah, I'll have to do that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's interesting, the idea of, you know, you have to find your sound, the kind of music you want to make, and how you're going to translate that to the live setting, and then what you want to have going on visually, what the uh, what people should be watching yeah. while you're performing, because just you on a keyboard or twiddling some knobs doesn't always... yeah. Some people make that work, but other times. So it's yeah. been a, a long process figuring that out? Yeah, it's definitely been a, a good process. I mean, like, not super long. We started out, like, with uh, with the paintings and the lights and stuff, but it's just evolved, like, more iterations of the paintings. They were First, they were just on canvas, kind of, like, hanging from Velcro, and so they were kind of wrinkly, and we were just rolling them up. And then we made them on wood and kind of, got these little clamps to clamp them to the keyboard stand so we're just always kind of trying to refine it and make it more more pro and um yeah and when we first started out we just didn't really understand like how much a computer a modern computer could handle so we were like mm. running the lights on a separate computer because the lights run through midi and so then i and i was opening a different session for every track uh. so we would have to like do like a little noise break between songs. But I did a lot of studying and we did a lot of experimenting and realized we could run every single thing off of one Ableton session. So, yeah. It's a sort of uh, inventive troubleshooting one has to do as a uh, DIY musician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The album's been out for a little while. You got a few dates coming up in Minneapolis. Mm hmm. Bigger scale though what do you guys uh have in store for uh this year and beyond what are the uh the long-term plans as it were yeah um well like i said I'm, we're hoping to get that uh a little fall tour put together hopefully um but otherwise we plan on um i mean we want to play as many shows as possible we kind of have done spent most of our time leading up to this with the writing and putting out the album and then getting the live setup dialed in. And now we're at the point where we're just ready to play like anything we can get. Um, we'd love to like visit LA sometime soon just to like be out there and play out there. Cause, uh, you know, that's a, a hotbed for stuff like what we're doing and everything. So we want to play as much as we can. And we'd love to, after playing some some more shows, bigger shows and kind of getting uh, some more confidence under our belt, um, hopping on a tour with somebody in support of somebody, you know, we don't really know who. Teaming but up, that's yeah. Kinda, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, putting out more uh, music, kind of just like trickling it, I guess, as singles and uh, putting out some videos and stuff. So. Yeah, I imagine your music would pair up quite well with a, uh, a psychedelic video or two. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and some of the newer stuff uh, is kind of a uh, has a little heavier of an '80s vibe. So we're kind of excited to experiment with some some video ideas with that stuff. So. And then, how do you find the uh, the local music scene in Minneapolis? Is it pretty supportive for what you guys do? Yeah, um, it's kind of cool because I am a have been a live sound engineer for the past like five years. And, oh, um, so you'll you'll work at different venues. Yeah, so I've gotten to know like all the local bands and like, uh, and then I'm also like a studio guy. I record and produce some people so i've gotten to know a lot of the people who produce around town and stuff and so okay yeah so i kind of i'm not a super social guy i'm pretty introverted but that's been a a you wear a a lot of different hats you'll work with a lot of different people yeah and luckily that way i've been able to kind of you know get myself out there and meet a lot of people and so you know, we don't get huge crowds yet or anything, but we're starting to play with some some bands around town that have good followings, and so people seem to like what we're doing. So, yeah. Now, are sound guys as grumpy as they are <laughs> stereotyped to be? It all depends on the venue you're at. Yeah. Um, the crappier venues tend, yeah, yeah, they tend to be grumpy. The nicer places in a town. More cordial. Usually, uh, uh, the the place I really enjoy that I work most often that we just we just played last week is uh, Ice House here in Minneapolis, and um, they have big windows so you get sunlight while you're working, which ah. a lot of rock clubs are just dark and dingy. So yeah. a little more vitamin D there at Ice House keeps you keeps you a little in a little better mood. <laughs> That's always important. Cool. Well, I've had pleasure chatting with you. And I yeah. really look forward to seeing where you guys go next. Thanks. Let me know if you ever come up to Massachusetts. That's where you're at, Massachusetts? Yeah, we'd love to. I will look, keep you posted. All right, that was Jacob. Sorry that it sounded like he was in a digital snowstorm. I'll be doing uh, more in-person interviews coming up, hopefully. If you liked this episode of Talking About the Passion, please subscribe on iTunes and uh, write us a review. If you use Spotify, you can follow the Talking About the Passion Spotify playlist to hear a big collection of tunes from artists who we've featured in the past. The theme song for Talking About the Passion is the Niagara Moon song Eating Peaches off my 2017 album Eating Peaches. Coming up, I'm going to play you one more tune from Deep Love. This is called I'm Gone. I hope you like it, and I will see you in a couple weeks. 